Welcome back to the Hemingway List for Book 6, Chapter 9. Ah, infidelity, the classic plot twist for any marriage. Swims to the mum of fish, she says, My translation says this, And she, Babbitt, twisted and turned to defend herself against the master of the house, who was holding her in a tight embrace and kept trying to press his walrus face to hers, occasionally succeeding in the attempt. It's clear to me that Babbitt is being sexually assaulted. This behaviour is quite a lot worse than infidelity. Although in typical 19th century fashion, this is not the focus of discussion, not even mentioned by the characters. Oh yeah, that is worse than infidelity. Um, I kind of thought it was vague, like he was trying to kiss her, and sometimes, I think because it said sometimes it was working in my translation or something like that. So... I saw it as like he was trying to kiss her and she was like, you know, trying to resist but not necessarily being assaulted, if that makes sense. Like being coy maybe or being playful. <clears throat> but it was vague. I did have the thought, wait, is, is he assaulting her or what? Um, well, it goes from bad to worse really, doesn't it, for poor What's her face, Tony? Dorstang says, yeah, that amazed me as well, but that is... But what is that word he said to her? Is that mystery solved in any of the translations? Um, Starfall says, I think the word is any run-of-the-mill swear word, but Tony, who is proud of her social position and her families, cannot fathom that such. Ah, yes. Um, All right. Sorry, I'm a little bit distracted. I'm going to read chapter 10. Um, Dive right in, because chapter 10 goes for about six months. So, this will be cool. Tony returned to her bedchamber after dinner. During the meal, her mother had told her that Thomas was aware of her expected arrival and she did not seem particularly anxious to meet him. The console came at six o'clock. He went into the landscape room and had a long talk with his mother. How is she? he asked. How does she seem? Oh, Tom, I am afraid she is very determined. She is terribly wrought up, and this word, if only I knew what it was, he said, I will go up and see her. Yes, do, Tom. But knock softly so as not to startle her. Oh, is this the word we're talking about? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> uh, and be very calm, will you? Her nerves are upset. That is the trouble she has with her digestion. She has eaten nothing. Do talk quietly with her. He went up quickly, skipping a step in his usual way. He was thinking and twisting the end of his moustache, but as he knocked, his face cleared. He was resolved to handle the situation as long as possible with humour. The suffering voice said, Come in, and he opened the door, to find Frau Permanida lying on the bed fully dressed. The bed curtains were flung back, the door quilt was underneath her back, and a medicine bottle stood on the night table. She turned around a little and propped her head on her hand, looking at him with her pouting smile. He made a deep bow and spread out his hands in a solemn gesture. Well, dear lady, to what are we indebted for the honour of a visit from this personage from the royal city of... Oh, give me a kiss, Tom, she said. Sat up to offer him her cheek and then sank back again. Well, how are you? My dear boy, quite unchanged, I see, since I saw you in Munich. 
You can't tell much about it with a bl- with the blinds down, my dear, and you ought not to steal my thunder like that either. It is more suitable for me to say. He held her hand in his and at the same time drew up a chair beside the bed, as I so often have, that you and Tilda... Oh, for shame, Tom. How is Tilda? Well, of course, Madame Cruzmince sees she doesn't starve, which doesn't prevent her eating for the week ahead when she comes here on Thursday. She laughed very heartily, as she had not for a long time back, in fact. Then she broke off with a sigh and asked, And how is business? Oh, we get on, mustn't complain. Thank goodness, here everything is as it should be. Oh, Tom, I don't feel much like chatting pleasantly about trifles. Pity. Once you preserve one's sense of humour, qualm mim. All that is at an end, Tom. You know all. You know all, he reported. He dropped her hand and pushed her... Sorry, and pushed back in his chair. Goodness gracious, how that sounds. All... What all lies in that all... My love and grief I gave thee, eh, no, listen. She was silent. She swept him with an astonished and deeply offended glance. Yes, I expected that look, he said, for without that look you would not be here. But, dear Tony, let me take the thing as much too lightly as you take it too seriously. You will see we shall compliment each other very nicely. Too seriously, Thomas, I take it too seriously. Yes, for heaven's sake, don't let's make a tragedy of it. Let us take it in a lower key, not with all is at an end, and you're unhappy, Antony. Don't misunderstand me, Tony. You well know that one can be gladder than I that you have come. I have long wished you would come to us on a visit, by yourself without your husband, so that we could end family together once more. But to come now like this, my dear child, I beg your pardon, but it was foolish, yes. Let me finish. Permanido has certainly behaved very badly, as I will give him to understand pretty clearly, but be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that, sorry. As to how he has behaved himself, Thomas, she interrupted him, raising herself up to lay a hand upon her breast. As far as that goes, I have already given him to understand that, and not only given him to understand, I can tell you I am convinced that further discussion... With that man is entirely out of place. And she let herself fall back again and looked sternly and fixedly at the ceiling. He bowed as if under the weight of her words and kept on looking down at his knee and smiling. Well then, I won't send him a stiff letter. It is just as you say. In the end, it is after all your affair and it is quite enough if you put him in his place. It is your duty as his wife. After all, there are some extenuating circumstances. There was a birthday celebration, and he came home a little bit exalted, so to speak, and was guilty of a false step and an unseemly blunder. Thomas, said she, I do not understand you. I do not understand your tone. You, a man with your principles, but you did not see him. You did not see how drunk he looked. He looked ridiculous enough, I'm sure, but that is it, Tony. You will not see how cosmic it was. But probably that is the fault of your bad digestion. You caught your husband in a moment of weakness, and you have seen him make himself look ridiculous. But that ought not to outrage you to such an extent. It ought to amuse you a little, perhaps, but bring you closer together as human beings. I will say that I don't mean you could have just let it pass with a laugh and said nothing at all, but not at all. You left home. 
That was a big demonstration of a rather extreme kind, perhaps a bit too severe. But after all, he deserved it. I imagine he is feeling pretty down in the mouth. I only mean that you must get to take the thing differently, not so insulted. A little more politic point of view. We are just between ourselves. Let me tell you something, Tony. In any marriage, the important thing is on which side the moral ascendancy lies. Understand, your husband has laid himself open. There is no doubt of that. He compromised himself and made a laughable spectacle. Laughable precisely because what he did was actually so harmless, so impossible to take seriously. But after all, his dignity is impaired and the moral advantage has passed over to you. If you know how to use it wisely, your happiness is assured. If you go back, say in a couple of weeks, certainly I must insist on keeping you for ourselves as long as that. If you go back to Munich in a couple of weeks, you will see. I will not go back to Munich, Thomas. I beg your pardon, he said, putting his hand on his ear and screwing up his face as he bent forward. She was lying on her back with her head sunk in the pillow so that her chin stood out with an effect of severity. Never, she said. She gave a long, audible, outward breath and cleared her throat also at length and deliberately. It was like a dry cough, which had of late become almost a habit with her, and had probably to do with her digestive trouble. There followed a pause. Tony, he said suddenly, getting up and slapping his hand on the arm of his chair, you aren't going to make a scandal. She gave a side glance and saw him all pale, with the muscles standing out in his temples. Her position was no longer tenable. She bestirred herself, and to hide the fear she really felt of him, grew angry in her turn. She sat up quickly and put her feet to the floor, with glowing cheeks and a frowning brow, making hasty motions of the head and hands. She began, Scandal, Thomas. You want me to tell me not to make a scandal when I have been insulted and people spit in my face. Is that worthy of a brother? You will permit me to ask. Circumspection, tact, they are very well in their place, but there are limits, Tom. I know just as much of life as you do, and I tell you, there is a point where the care for appearances leaves off, and cowardice begins. I am astonished that such a stupid goose as I am have to tell you this. Yes, I am a stupid goose, and I should not be surprised if Permanente loved, never loved me at all, for I am an ugly old woman, very likely, and Babette is certainly prettier than I am, but... Did that give him a right to forget the respect he owed to my family and my upbringing and all my feelings? You did not see the way he forgot himself, Tom, and since you did not see it, you cannot understand, for I can never tell you how disgusting he was. You did not hear the word that he called after me, your sister, when I took my things and went out of the room to sleep on the sofa in the living room, but I heard it, and it was a word that, a word, it was that word, let me tell you, Thomas, that caused me to spend the whole night packing my trunk to wake Erica early in the morning and to leave the place rather than to remain in the neighborhood of a man who could utter such words and to such a man as I said before I will never never return not so long as I have any self-respect or care in the least what becomes of my me in my life on this earth and will you have the goodness to tell me what this cursed word was yes or no Never, Thomas, never would I permit that word to cross my lips. I know too well what I owe to you and to myself within these walls. Then it's no use talking with you. That may easily be. I am sure I do not want to discuss it any further. What do you expect to do? Get a divorce? Yes, Tom, 
Such is my firm determination. I feel that I owe it to myself, my child and my family. That is all nonsense, of course, he said in a dispassionate tone. He turned on his heel and moved away as if his words had settled the matter. It takes two to make a divorce, my child. Do you think the matter will just say yes and thank you kindly? That idea is absurd. Oh, you can leave that to me, she said, quite undismayed. You mean he will refuse on account of the 17,000 marks current, but Grunlich wasn't willing either, and they made him. There are ways and means, I'm sure. I'll go to Dr. Giseki. He is a Christian friend, and he will help me. Oh, yes, of course, I know it was not the same thing. It was incapacity of the husband to provide for his family. You see, I know my way about in these affairs. Dear me, you act as if this were the first time in my life that I got a divorce. But even so, Tom, perhaps there is nothing that applies to this case. Perhaps it is impossible. You may be right, but it is all the same. My resolve is fixed. Let him keep the money. There are higher things in life. He will never see me again either way. She coughed again. She had left the bed and seated herself in an easy chair, resting one elbow on his arm. Her chin was so deeply buried in her hand that her four bent fingers clutched her under lip. She sat with her body turned to the right, staring with red excited eyes out of the window. The consul walked up and down, sighed, shook his head, shrugged his shoulders. He paused in front of her, fairly wringing his hands. "'You're a child, Tony, a child,' said he, in a discouraged, almost pleading tone. "'Every word you have spoken is most utter childish nonsense. Will you make an effort now, if I beg you, to think about the thing for just one minute like a grown woman? Don't you see that you are acting as if something very serious and dreadful had happened to you, as if your husband had cruelly betrayed you and heaped insults on you before all the world? Do try to realise that nothing of the sort has happened.' Not a single soul in the world knows anything about that silly affair that happened at the top of the staircase in Crow Finger Street. Your dignity and ours will suffer no slight, no slightest diminution, diminution, diminution. If you go calmly and composedly back to Pomerida, of course, with your nose in the air. But on the other hand, if you don't go back, if you give this nonsense so much importance as to make a scandal out of it, then you will be wounding our dignity indeed. She jerked her chin out of her hand and stared him in the face. That's enough, Thomas Buddenbrook. Be quiet now. It's my turn. Listen, so you think there is no shame and no scandal so long as people don't get to hear it? Ah, no. The shame that gnaws at us secretly and eats away our self-respect, that is far, far worse. Are we Buddenbrooks the sort of people to be satisfied if everything looks tip-top, as you say here on the outside, no matter how much mortification we have to choke down inside our four walls. I cannot help feel astonished at you, Tom. Think of our father and how he would act today, and then judge as he would. No, no, clean art and open di- clean and open dealings must be the rule. Why, you can open your books any day for all the world to see and say, here they are, look at them. We should all of us be just the same. I know how God has made me. I am not afraid let Julshin Mellendorf pass me in the street and not speak, if she wants to. Let Fifi Buddenbrook sit there on Thursday afternoons and shake all over with spite and say, well, that is the second time, but of course, both times the men were to blame. I feel so far above all that now, Thomas, far farther than I can tell you. I know I have done what I thought was right, but if I am to be so afraid of Julshin and Mullendorf and Fifi Buttenbrook as to swallow down all sorts of insults and let myself be cursed out in a drunken dialect that isn't even grammar, to stop with a man in a town where I have to get used to that kind of language and the kind of scenes I saw that night, 
at the top of the stairs where I have to forget my origin and my upbringing and everything that I am and learn to disown it altogether in order to act as if I was satisfied and happy. That is what I call undignified. That is what I call scandalous, I tell you. She broke off, braided her chun once more in her hand and stared out of the window. She stood, he stood, sorry, before her. His weight on one leg, his hands in his trouser pockets, his eyes rested on her unseeing, for he was in deep thought, and slowly moving his head from side to side. Tony, he said, you're telling the truth. I knew it all along, but you betrayed yourself just now. It is not the man at all. It is the place. It isn't this other idiotic business. It is the whole thing altogether. You couldn't get used to it. Tell the truth. Thomas, she cried, it is the truth. She sprang back up as she spoke and pointed straight into his face with her outstretched hand. Her own face was red. She stood there in a warlike pose, one hand grasping the chair, gesticulating with the other, and made a long, agitated, passionate speech that welled up in a restless, resistless tide. The console stared at her amazed. Scarcely would he pour, she pause to draw breath. When new words would come gushing and bubbling forth, she, yes, she found words for everything. She gave full expression to all that accumulated disgust of her Munich years. Unassorted, confused, she poured it all out. One thing after another, she kept nothing back. It was like the bursting of a dam, an assertion of desperate integrity, something elemental, a force of nature that brooked no restraint. It is the truth, she cried. Say it again, Thomas. Oh, I can tell you plainly, I am no stupid goose any longer. I know what I have to expect. I don't faint away at my time of life to hear that dirty work goes on now and then. I've known people like Thierry Trishk and I was married to Benedict Grunlich, and I know the dissipated creatures there are here in this town. I'm no country innocent. I tell you, and the affair with Babette wouldn't have made me go off the handle like that just by itself. No, Thomas, the thing was that it filled the cup to overflowing, and that didn't take much, for it was full already, and had been for a long time, a long time. It would have taken very little to make it run over, and then this happened. The knowledge that I could not depend on Permanida even in that way, that put the top on everything. It knocked the bottom out of the cask. I brought to a, it brought to a head all at once my intention to get away from Munich that had been slowly growing in my mind a long time before that, Tom, for I cannot live down there. I swear it to before God and all his heavenly hosts. How wretched I have been, Thomas. You can never know. When you were there on a visit, I concealed everything, for I am a tactful woman and do not burden others with my complainings, nor wear my heart on my sleeve on a weekday. I have always been rather reserved, but I have suffered, Tom, suffered with my entire being, with my whole personality, so to speak. 
like a plant, a flower that has been transplanted into a foreign soil, if I may make such a comparison. You'll probably find it a most unsuitable one, for I am really an ugly old woman, but I could not be planted in a more foreign soil than that, and I would just as leaf go and live in Turkey. Oh, we should never be transplanted, we northern folk. We should stick to the shore of our own bay. We can only really thrive upon our native soil. You all used to laugh at my taste for the nobility. Yes, in these years I have often thought of what somebody said to me once, in times gone by, a very clever man. Your sympathies are with the nobility, he said. Shall I tell you why? Because you yourself belong to the nobility. Your father is a great gentleman, and you are a princess. A gulf lies between you and the rest of us who do not belong to the governing classes. Yes, Tom, we feel like the nobility, and we realize the difference. We should never try to live where we are not known, where no one understands our worth, for we shall have nothing but chagrin and be laughed at for our arrogance. Yes, they all found me ridiculously arrogant. They did not say so, but I felt it every minute, and that made me suffer too. Do you think I feel arrogant, Tom, in a place where they eat cake with a knife, and the very princes speak bad grammar, and if a gentleman picks up a lady's fan, this is supposed to be a love affair, get used to it, not to people without dignity, morals, energy, ambition, self-respect, or good manners, lazy and frivolous, stupid and shallow at the same time, no, never, never, as long as I am a Buddenbrook and your sister. Eva Ewers managed it, but Eva is not a Boddenbrook, and she has a husband that amounts to something. It was different with me. You think back, Tom, from the very beginning. I came from a home where people work and get things accomplished, and have a purpose in life, and I go down there to Permanida, and he sits himself down with my dowry. Oh, that was genuine enough, that was characteristic, but it was the only good thing there was about it. And then I was going to have a baby. That would have made everything up to me. And what happens? It dies. I don't blame Permanida for that, of course. I don't mean that. God forbid, he did everything he could, and he didn't go to the cafe for several days. But after all, it belonged to the same thing. It made me no happier, and you can well believe. But I didn't give in, and I didn't grumble. I was alone and misunderstood and pointed at for being arrogant. But I said to myself, you yielded him your consent for life. He is lumpy and lazy and... He caused you a cruel disappointment, but his heart is pure and he means well. And then I had to bear the sight of him in the last unspeakable minute. And I said to myself, he understands you no better and respects you no more and no less than others do. And he calls you names that no one, no, that one of our workmen up here wouldn't throw at a dog. I knew then that nothing bound me to him anymore and that it was an undignity for me to stay. When I was driving from the station this afternoon, I passed Nielsen, the porter, and he took off his hat and made me a deep bow, and I bowed back to him, not arrogantly, not a bit. I waved my hand, just the way father used to, and here I am. You can do what you like, you can harness up all your workhorses, but you can never drag me back to Munich again, and tomorrow I go to Giuseppe. Thus she spoke, and finishing sank back exhausted into her chair and stared again out of the window. Tom was alarmed, shaken, stupefied. He stood before her and found no words. He raised his arm up shoulder high, drawing a long breath. 
Then he let his arms fall against his thighs. Well, that's an end of it, he said. His voice was calm and he turned and went towards the door. Her face wore now the same expression, the same half-pouting, half-injured smile as when he entered. Tom, she said with a raising inflection, are you vexed with me? He held the oval doorknob in one hand and made a gesture of weary protest with the other. Oh, no, not at all. She put out her hand and tipped her head on one side. Come here, Tom. Your poor sister has had a hard time. Life is hard on her. She has much to bear, and at this minute she has nobody in all the world. He came back, he took her hand, but wearily, indifferently, and not looking at her face. Suddenly her lip began to quiver. You must go on alone now, she said. There's nothing good to be looked for from Christian, and I am finished, failed, gone to pieces. I can do no more. I am a poor, useless woman, dependent on you all for my living. I could never have dreamed, Tom, that I should be no help to you at all. Now you stand quite alone, and upon you it depends to keep up the honour and dignity of the family. May God help you in the task. Two large, clear, childish tears rolled down over her cheeks, which were beginning to show very faintly the first signs of age. And that's the chapter. Tom is... I mean, Tony is an old lady now, apparently. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.